You're listening to Car Free Midwest. We're a podcast based in Omaha, Nebraska, exploring the stories, barriers, and joys of getting around the Midwest without a car. Our goal is to build a community around more transportation equity and less car dependency. I'm Sarah Johnson. And I'm Joshua LeVure. And And this this is is Car Car Free Free Midwest. Midwest. We did it! All right, cool. Well, uh, this week for Car Free Midwest, we are actually sitting on South 13th Street. It is parking day, which is a global celebration, turning parking spots into little mini parks for the day. So we have taken over a parallel parking spot outside of the greenhouse, and we decided to be a fun place to record our podcast, which uh, we're actually talking with a Mode Shift Omaha board member, Derek Babb, who... um, we're going to talk about actually a book here in a minute, but first I will let Derek introduce himself. Yeah, um, my name is Derek Babb. I'm a ModeShift board member. I've been involved with ModeShift for, gosh, probably six or seven years. Um, really just came to it because I started reading a couple books, and we're going to talk about a book today, but I think the book that I read was Jeff Speck had a book on uh, walkability that really sort of resonated with me, and then I found ModeShift to sort of who in the neighborhood is doing things around this, advocacy around walking and biking, and and you all were were there already. So it was exciting to meet some like-minded people. Um, I actually think Jeff Speck came and spoke at something we maybe hosted by ModeShift. Yeah, you and I. Yeah, so that was one of those early early experiences with ModeShift that I thought was really valuable. So yeah, otherwise I teach at UNO. That's my day job. Awesome, and he arrived today on a Heartland B-Cycle electric bike share bike i think i see you on those a lot we were also just at uno doing a durango days thing and you roll up on a heartland b-cycle they're so handy it's awesome yeah i can't say enough about the heartland b-cycles and having access to those Um, i mean obviously i have a bike and i'm kind of a bike junkie but at the same time there's a heartland b-cycle right in benson i can walk my kid to school and grab a bike and take it to work there's a heartland b-cycle station right outside of where i work and it's hugely beneficial to have that Heartland B-Cycle, especially if it's going to be, like today it started to rain. I don't want to leave my bike out in the rain, and not to say that I don't mind leaving their bikes out, but their bikes are already out, and they're designed to take sort of the beating of day-to-day minutiae in the city. So Perfect. Awesome. All right, so today we decided um, there is a book that is kind of making a lot of sense to us. It's It's kind of Someone that we've been following uh, for years anyway, appreciate his work. Uh, Chuck Marone with Strong Towns just wrote a book, um, and I'm definitely not remembering the title. Something about reco- thoughts of a recovering engineer. Tell us the real it's, story. The book is Confessions of a Recovering Engineer, um, and we were on the pre-release team for it, so we actually got pre- pre-access to the book before it came out, and so I had a chance to read it. Um, it did come out uh, September 8th, so it's been out for a little while now, depending on when, when people are listening to this. Um, but it's, it's really his sort of take on how the engineering field has driven transportation policy. And one of the things that he talks about a lot is when he came to these realizations as an engineer that they were making all these choices and it was leaving places that they worked kind of worse off. Um, he talks a lot about the financial aspects of city building, but in this he particularly talks about uh, road safety and how road design is driven by engineers and how engineers kind of have this ultimate say in road widths and road speed 
um, and and how we as citizens and the city itself kind of need to wrestle that back from engineers that we need to build places that we enjoy, not places that. It's about building streets that work for people, not just for cars getting through as fast as they can. And I think that that's a lot of times, you know, in Omaha and certainly all over the place, streets used to really be built as places just shoot traffic through fast um, and not really worry about the rest of the built environment and the people that are involved. If you're not in a car, you're kind of an afterthought. And so I think that, yeah, um, from what I've seen of this book, there's, there's a lot of good information throughout, but really just kind of turning it back into people-centered planning. Yeah, and if, I mean, I think Omaha is a really interesting example because we had this old streetcar network and we can see these nodes of where the streetcar used to let people out. And at that point, a street wouldn't have been designed for cars. I mean, the, there were some cars at sort of that early, early time, but it really was, you got out on the street and then all your needs were met sort of in your neighborhood and in your place. And that's something that we abandoned when we went to this car-only model, or at least car-centric model of getting around the city. Um, we got rid of the streetcar lines, the, the bus lines that we offer now don't match what we used to have uh, prior to World War II. And in fairness, Omaha was much more compact and also much more dense back then, so it made a lot more sense. Speaking of street configurations, I know one of the chapters that we wanted to touch on today uh, is chapter two, which is the difference between a road and a strode. And I just thought I would start with um, a quote from the book that is hilarious and very well put. Uh, it says, a strode is a street road hybrid. It is the futon of the transportation system. A futon is an uncomfortable couch that converts into an uncomfortable bed, something that performs two functions but does neither well. A strode tries to be both street and road, providing both mobility and access, yet fails miserably at both. Man, okay, just to reiterate, yeah, we're on a strode right now, and it is loud and busy, but also is attempting to be, you know, a place for pedestrians. What do you think about that there, Rick? Yeah, so this street, first of all, we are sitting in beautiful weather, um, really nice, the, the place is great, except for the street. Everything about where we are, and we're in sort of the Little Italy area, is the Little Bohemia, yeah, I don't, I, I lose what we call things, but... It's delightful, and you can see when this would have been a streetcar suburb that it would have been delightful. It's just south of downtown, but it's got this four-lane road that just is pushing traffic as fast as it can through. Um, so the street-road hybrid, I think it's important to sort of define what each of those are, and this is something that uh, Chuck Marone and other people have talked about a lot. Um, there's a great video from Not Just Bikes on the street-road hybrid. They've done a, a lot of Strong Towns work. Um, but we can see the streets in town, you know, places like, I think Maple and Benson is probably a pretty good example of a street. I still think that people go through there too quickly. Uh, but you know, Underwood in Dundee is example of a good street. Uh, we see streets around where you feel comfortable walking. It's sticky, right? You, you don't feel like you should be driving through it quickly. You, you kind of want to stop and get out. Um, and a road is just the opposite. The road is a place for you to just travel through. There really shouldn't be anything. It's a connector from one node to another. And then we get to here on South 13th Street, we have a strode. It is trying to put a lot of traffic from, I guess, the interstate to downtown. And 
As a result, we have a really unpleasant place to be as a person not in a car. Um, so I think that idea of converting some of our strodes either to a street or to a road makes a lot of sense. And I, I would love to see right where we are, this is four lanes, two in each direction. That could easily become one in each direction with a center turn lane that would buy you room for additional parking that would stink but you could also put a bike lane you could have wider sidewalks although these sidewalks are really nice and wide um, there's a lot of things you can do and yeah we're sitting in front of this little parklet we've turned a, a parking space into a nice little conversation area and people are chatting and talking and it's delightful that it doesn't have to be just storing somebody's uh, private property for free yeah totally i think that that's um when you said this is a delightful place aside from the cars like yes absolutely because like you said the weather's perfect we have a nice shady tree here there's bike racks there's actually a trash can obviously our delightful parklet and then a monster truck goes blasting by and kind of ruins it for everyone um so I think what we should see happen on 13th, which there is some conversation, I believe, you know, we've we've been working um, with the, the businesses along here. The greenhouse again is where we're in front of right now. Um, they have been, they're part of the, you know, the neighborhood association here talking about how they can slow traffic down. And I guess it's been about three years in the works as far as a conversation around what could be done. Um, giant truck semi-town um but anyway they all agree that yes the street should turn in from you know road diet from four to three so uh it would definitely have plenty of room then for parklets and i think that it would actually then you know the other thing that's kind of an issue is this is a long block with little shops on each side of this giant strode and there's one crosswalk way down to the north and one way down to the south and people are like running back and forth across hoping they don't get smushed it's like frogger so if this lane diet happened and there were you know bump outs for pedestrians to be able to cross mid-block more safely there's just so much potential here and so it felt like a really good place to situate our parklet to really help people kind of shift their thinking about land use um, and yes this strode needs to be turned into a street for sure well, and the interesting thing to me is like even using like capitalist logic that this would actually be like a smart place to have a lane diet because it's another place where like businesses can thrive and bring tax revenue to the city and have a thriving economic space. So it's interesting to me that it's still a struggle even using their own logic. Yeah, Chuck Brown talks about that a lot, that a street is a platform for building wealth, that you know, the city comes along and they provide the infrastructure, the sewer, the gas, and all the things that go with that. But we don't get any more value by widening those lanes. You know, the, the place is now connected. And what we really need to do is get people to invest in the place. Then we need private money to come in. And we've seen that along here, but you could really see it thrive if, if those connections were made, if it was easier for me to get from one side of the street to the other. Um, that makes a lot of sense to, from an economic st standpoint, I think. Yep, what Derek said. Well, <laughs> another thing I was going to say with that is, as you look down the street, the speed limit is 30 miles an hour. And, and I, I found I had to look down the street a ways to find one. But there's nothing about the design of this street that says 30 miles an hour. If you were out on Dodge or on Maple, you would see the exact same street and the speed limit would be 45. It, nothing about the uh, street would have changed and this would have been a 45 mile an hour and 
people are gonna drive the speed they feel comfortable. It, we really know from human psychology and from engineering that people don't pay attention to signs. The signs are not what determine speed. It's comfort, it's other cars around you, um, it's how much sort of chaos is going on. And, and it sounds bad to want chaos, but chaos slows you down. Chaos means that you don't feel comfortable driving 10, 20 miles an hour over the speed limit. You feel comfortable going the posted speed limit. So even something simple you could say is, let's lower the speed limit from 30 to 25. That would change nothing about this street because people are probably already doing 40, 45 down this most of the time, um, which leads to more dangerous situations. And you know, so lowering a speed limit or changing a speed limit without changing the fundamental design of the street really doesn't affect any change. Okay, yeah, that's like exactly the quotes I'm about to read. Um, from chapter three, whose mistakes do we forgive? Like what exactly you were just saying, Derek, slowing down is the natural response for drivers perceiving an increased level of risk. So it's also, you know, drivers slow down when they're curious about what's happening on the sides of the road. So I think that that's something that we've witnessed even today. Um, people are driving fast. We saw it happen specifically with this guy on a motorcycle going like a bazillion miles an hour, sees us, slows down, and then actually stopped at the red light instead of maintaining that crazy fast speed, which I would bet you it was 60 miles an hour. He sees us, slows down, and then actually stops in the light instead of blasting through it. So that was really cool. My only regret is that we have our speed gun loaned out for an upcoming walk with us event because I would love to be taking speeds right now. Um, but anyway, the other thing um, that, again, like we were just talking about, signs don't do anything. Um, another quote from the book, it is a shockingly common experience across North America to have a street designed to accommodate speeds of 60 miles an hour, traffic flow at 45 miles an hour, and have the legal speed limit designated at 30 miles an hour. I keep looking up and down the street for a speed limit sign, which I don't see one, but I do think it is like 30 or 35, and it, that's a it joke. 30. It's right over there. I, I can see it from where I am. I will say that like, I am very conscious about this kind of stuff, and I drove here today. Um, because uh, my bike's all packed up for a trip I'm doing this weekend on my friend's bike rack. But uh, anyway, I drove here today and I was going down the street and I was like, I felt like I was going kind of slow because people were like riding me, you know, and I looked at the speed limit. It was 30 and I was going like 40 miles an hour and I felt like I was going too slow. Yeah, it's it's weird when a speed limit changes and it doesn't seem to change the behavior of anybody. I know. Um, because where I work, I go through Elmwood Park all the time, and they just changed the speed limit to 15 through the park, and it used to be 25. Um, so with a 15, I feel more comfortable riding my bike in the street, but I still get people right up behind you, and there's no place to pass on that winding road. And that one is probably as chaotic a road as you can achieve. It's in a park, it's very windy, there's trees right up against the edge of it. 15 is a reasonable speed, but people just are so acclimated to going fast um, that it, when they come up, up on somebody that's doing 15, they kind of get frustrated by it. And I know the, park, the parking person, such a loud ass road. It's so loud. Yeah. So speaking of sirens. <laughs> yeah, a great segue as that police car speeds, you know, 
who knows how fast down the road, um, to talking about how enforcement is really not the way to deal with speeding issues. We really need to talk about design. Um, and that's why, you know, for a, a minute there, we were excited when Omaha hired a Vision Zero coordinator because hypothetically that would mean that he would be looking at roadway design because we have realized, especially over the last few years, that enforcement is definitely inequitably handed out. And so um, part of uh, what is talked about in the book is how, yeah, just enforcement lays it open for police officers to pick and choose who they want to target. And a lot of times it's our black and brown neighbors. And so design over enforcement for sure needs to be what we're trying to achieve. Well, right, because we have this situation where basically everybody's speeding all the time. So there's a adequate reason to pull anyone over and maybe that's there's an investigation that needs that i don't i don't know why that would be the case but what we want the police to do is we want them to get the crazy outliers i want them to pull over the person that's doing 30 miles an hour over the speed limit because that person is a danger to us like that's where police need to be pulling people over for cause enforcement will not get people to drive a speed that they just feel is inappropriate. I think, again, a low speed limit on a fast road won't affect anything other than the ability for a police officer to pull anyone over that they decide needs to be pulled over. So yes, it has to start with design. Um, this is another issue we talk about a lot when we like bring up the idea of red light cameras. I actually don't mind the idea of red light cameras, but if you don't change anything about the design, you're just gonna get so much pushback because it just looks like a money grab because essentially everyone's speeding all the time and uh, now you're gonna catch people going through red lights all the time. We need to design it so that it feels unsafe to go through a red light or to catch that tail end of a yellow light or whatever people are doing. Yeah, exactly. Um, law enforcement cannot compensate for bad road and street design. Exactly right. This is the whole point. Um, so again, I think just really, yeah, we like to, as mode shift and just like, you know, Car Free Midwest continue to bring up the inequities that we continue to see um, with racial discrimination uh, and traffic stops. I mean, I don't probably need to remind at least Omaha listeners of an unfortunate suicide, um, death by suicide because of a quote-unquote routine traffic stop. You know, someone had expired tags. The police started chasing this person. The person fled because it was a black man who has probably, you know, been aware of sometimes what happens when black men get stopped by the police. And, you know, unfortunately, something, again, that could have been a mailed-in ticket uh, turned into an unfortunate and untimely death. So I really think that um, we need to just continue this conversation and... Uh, yeah, road design, road design. It's it's a silly thing, I guess, to keep harping on, but I think it really could make a huge difference for a lot of people's lives. This isn't just like beautification. It's actually about saving lives. Yeah, you know, and to talk about design, just when I was getting here, because I rode a bike from Benson to here, um, and I had a bike lane the entire way, except once I hit Leavenworth on 13th, then I'm just in this four-lane road that we've been talking about this whole time. Um, it's 30 miles an hour. I'm on an electric bike at least, so I'm, I'm going 18. I know I'm going quick, uh, but it still is uncomfortable. And I ride everywhere. I don't have a car. I ride my bike everywhere. I'm confident in most situations. I still don't like that. I still would prefer even the painted bike lane. I mean, what I want is a protected bike lane like the Harney, Harney Street Bikeway, but I will take a painted strip if it means that I don't have to feel like there's a, a semi or a large truck 
barreling down on me, um, that I feel like I'm inconveniencing people. This is like that Midwestern self-loathing. like I just can't get over it. I, I always feel so bad when I'm slowing someone down, and I know that's my problem and not everyone else's, but I, I just, I hate riding in traffic when I'm the cause of somebody being delayed, and I know that's silly. Um, but again, I'm, as uh, Julie Harris always talks about the different levels of cyclists, like the interested but willing and like the eager will do it no matter what. I probably in that eager, I'm gonna bike year round no matter what, I'm biking. But I still feel really uncomfortable biking in traffic and, and I don't know that I'll ever get over that. Um, I'll probably get worse when I get hit by a car inevitably, so. <laughs> That's kind of unfortunately what I was going to say is like, yeah, it's never going to feel good to have an angry, impatient driver breathing down your neck when you're, you know, in your own lane, obeying traffic laws. They could go around, like especially, again, we're talking about this four-lane road where there is ample opportunity to safely pass, but a lot of times people just, it's this entitlement issue we talk about a lot of times in Omaha where whether it's parking or just roads in general, drivers of cars think that they belong to them. And if you are a person on a bike, God forbid you're walking across the street, you are an inconvenience and you are an impediment and they are unhappy about it. And it's unfortunate, but it's, I mean, I same over here. Like we're probably in the same class, like ride year round, don't own a car, bikes are a form of transportation, but it never feels good when you feel like someone in a death box wants to smush you. It's just never gonna get better. No, I, there are some places that are, really pleasant to bike in in Omaha and in, in the street with traffic I don't mind being you know places that we've mentioned already I don't mind biking on Maple I don't mind biking you know through Dundee or Benson or those places that sort of are sticky and and you can tell that that's a street we're doing some good things I'm, I'm really excited for the the lane reconfiguration in Blackstone I think that will be good. It's got currently two lanes going one direction, one going the opposite direction. They're gonna switch that to a, a center turn lane. Um, anytime you get that second lane, you get people jockeying for position. You get the people that are trying to make it a road race. Um, one lane at a time allows for the one person following the speed limit to kind of set the speed limit for everybody. And that's that's useful. Um, yeah, here, if, if I was driving the speed limit down 13th Street here, People would just pass me. They'd go around me. And whether that's making the place safer or not, it's it's certainly not making me feel more comfortable. Um, yeah, so I, I would love to see some lane reconfigurations a lot of places in town. And you know, start with the ones that are obvious. Start with the ones that have names, right? If we're calling this Little Bohemia, it has a name. This is a place. Let's make this place special. Right now it's kind of just a My dream is a lane diet on Center Street, right when it is about to hit Hanscom Park. Yeah, that one, they, there was a big push by the Neighborhood Association when they were resurfacing the road to try to get that to happen. Um, that's the problem is that these things come around and, and we don't have enough time to sort of react to the fact that, oh, Center Street is currently being repaved and repainted. This would be an excellent time for that lane diet, but it's already been decided that it's not gonna get a lane diet. Or we get pushback that um, the lane diet would cause an insufficient flow of traffic. And that's another thing that they talk about in the book is level of service and how we measure what is good. Because level of service is graded A to F, and a level of service of A means you'll never have to touch your brakes, right? As a car driver, you just only accelerate, you don't ever brake. 
Um, level of service F means that you frequently have to stop or there's frequently traffic jams and things like that. When you think about places that you really want to be, sometimes it gets jammed up. Sometimes cars do have to come to a stop and that's that's part of it. Like that's that's what makes a place good is that there's uh, it isn't just free-flowing traffic. The interstate is free-flowing traffic. I don't ever want to sit beside the interstate and have a cup of coffee. Um, and yet, that's what we seem to want in our other roads. Um, another one, the Center Street one is really interesting. I would really like to see a lane diet in uh, Leavenworth near sort of where Gerda's used to be and where uh, Jay Coco and, and the, coffee, the comic coffee shop that we're doing our walk with us. Um, those are great spaces with these four-lane roads that drive down the middle of it. It's, it's really hard to bounce back and forth from one side to the other. Um, and that, that creates a disconnect. It creates a, a fact that you have to either be on one side of the road or the other side of the road, but then if you try to cross, you really risk your life. And that's where this book starts, is with a story of uh, Springfield, um, not Illinois, where is it? Springfield, no. There's a Springfield in every state. Springfield, Illinois is this. Yeah. So there's, there's a town, though, and they have a public library, and across from the public library is the parking lot for that library. And it's just like this. It's a four-lane road, um, and they've tried to get people to walk the half-mile back and forth to the crosswalks, but any logical, rational person, you know, just like you're logical and rational for driving the speed you feel comfortable, people are going to be logical and rational in taking the straightest line from where they are to their parked car. And sometimes that's going to put them across traffic. And if we don't accommodate people acting in the most rational way in the moment, then we're going to put them in danger. And we're going to, so we need to know how people are going to respond to a wide road, how people are going to respond to the parking for a library being across the street from it. Um, we know, we know how people will respond. And so we need to accommodate that. And I think that's an important step. Um, for both the design and engineering side of the city, but just... Just thinking more about Center Street, it dead ends into a park. Like, it doesn't need to be a racetrack. I just, I, you know, talking about the strodes and roads and streets, there are so many opportunities to really dial things in, slow it down. Again, there's the economic, there's just so many benefits, and it's just hard sometimes when it seems like there are plenty of reasons to do it, very few to not do it, and still somehow we are not doing it. But I don't know. Oh, we did get some news today. I don't even know if I've told you this yet, Derek. I don't know if I've told you yet, Josh. Dear listeners, you definitely don't know. Um, okay, so I think that this is public knowledge. I'm not entirely sure. Hold the publication until, delay this release until it's public knowledge. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so there's some scuttlebutt on the street that Omaha... The parking department specifically is coming up with a parklet program that will be deployed in the spring, which is blowing my mind. I hope it's real. I believe it is real. I was told by a reliable source. Um, so yeah, things can change. I guess that's like, as soon as I just start talking down on Omaha and say, oh, it'll never happen. I'm like, okay, no, it can happen. I'm just not the most patient human, but there are slow progress. There is slow progress. Yeah, well, I, the city is continually getting better, and that's something that I always, you know, 
remind myself when I get impatient because I'm right there with you. I want change yesterday. Uh, but we have a protected bike lane for the time being. Um, and like I said, most of my route from Benson to here, I was either on low traffic streets or in a protected bike, or in a bike lane. It wasn't protected. Um, it's something, right? And something is better than nothing. We know that sharrows are kind of dangerous because they give a false sense of security to the cyclist while providing no actual protection. Um, but for the most part, from here to there, I felt comfortable biking, except... There's so many instances of these and all it costs is paint. There's so many places that in the city that we have a four lane road that would be much better off as a three lane with that center turn lane. Um, just because you've gained that people turning left stop traffic, that causes a point of conflict. Um, they have to turn across two lanes of traffic, that causes potential issues. Uh, people trying to cross themselves have to cross four lanes. Um, it's so much wiser to have fewer lanes, and then that's fewer lanes that we have to plow snow from. It's fewer lanes that we have to repave. It's, it's just better every which way to have fewer lanes in the city. And yet all of our CIP is going to widening, widening, widening because we have this obsession with never stopping in traffic and never, never footing. Actually this morning, um a new mode shift member swung by for our coffee chat and we were talking about how it's exciting that Farnham Street and Blackstone is finally going to be doing some redesign um, and she said she was looking at some old maps where you know back in the day they did have wider sidewalks and a narrower street and then we decided no 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 less room for people more room for cars so then they widened the street and shrunk the sidewalks and now guess what we are realizing that indeed we do need narrower roads more sidewalk space for people so rather than continue this boomerang back and forth between wider streets narrower streets wider streets ending with narrower streets because sometimes we can learn we are as derek just said in the cip just continuing to allocate money for road widening in West Omaha. I just saw a bag fall off of the back of the truck and I'm waiting for a car to hit it. There's some street calming in the way of debris in the road. Does this book talk about noise pollution at all? I don't think they get into noise pollution in this book. They, There are a bunch of um, really interesting things that do talk about noise pollution. In uh, There's a livable city or curbing traffic by Chris and Melissa Blumfert. Um, they're Canadians that live in uh, the Netherlands now, and they have a whole chapter in their book uh, that is talking about noise pollution. And they currently live in the city of Delft, which really went kind of the exact opposite way and mandates, for example, certain types of paving so that it is quiet. Sarah just pulled curbing traffic out of her bag because she's walking around, walking around with urbanist books. Um, but they talk about how Delft requires outside of schools, for example, a certain type of paving to be used so that it deadens the sound. And it's more expensive, but if you look at like those sound walls that we have up against the interstate or along 72nd Street, those are hugely expensive. It's much cheaper just to design it to be quieter. Um, that's something that I think we overlook with the transition to electric vehicles is how much more pleasant it's going to be when cars aren't so loud and when you're not behind somebody's tailpipe. Um, 
you know, I, we don't need more cars. Cars are not the solution to our mobility problems. But as we move away from fossil fuels, I'm very excited for the, the city of tomorrow that has fewer gas cars on the roads and just a more pleasant environment for people who are on the roads, whether it's in a bike or in a, an electric car. Yeah, I just thought about that specifically for obvious reasons, because I'm here recording audio for a podcast and there's like all these giant cars passing by. But it's also something I think about often because I am a person who, you know, has anxiety problems and, and you know, I think there's something in the city and we're getting more and more studies that show like how the psychological effects of noise and constant noise and i love the idea of of you know making these neighborhoods where we could just be sitting having a pleasant time on the sidewalk making them more pleasant and more calming and that's why i like the idea that we're sitting right here next to this parklet because you know i think that that's like something to strive for places where people can be calm and and i think that that leads to safer cities it leads to obviously calmer cities but also leads to healthier cities not only physically but mentally as well yeah, I actually just saw a study done um, involving traffic noise and dementia. And I told Scott, we need to move off of 52nd Street because I already am having my brain leave me. Uh, but I think that that's absolutely true. I mean, we live on 52nd Street and I have never lived on a, a high traffic street like that. And it is only two lanes, you know, one north, one south, but dang, people fly up and down that street and it is so loud and so stressful. And, you know, being the, the road safety person that I am, it like extra makes me want to just, I want to put a sign that says slow the F down in our little yard sample. Probably won't make a lick of difference, but um, yeah, I just really, I used to live on a little quiet street and I loved having the windows open when I went to sleep. And it's like turning into fall that time when I love to have the windows open. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I live in this house on a busy street now and I like it less. So the noise pollution thing I think is a really good point. And I think that like right now, I live in a quiet neighborhood. You've been to my house. My neighborhood's quiet. The street is quiet, not a lot of cars, but we are not too far from I-80 and I can hear that all the time and I you know kind of forget about it sometimes but then we uh, were house sitting for Lauren's parents in Lincoln and they live far away from the highway they live in a quiet neighborhood and I was like oh my god this is so different yeah I, I grew up in Lincoln and it's funny because in Lincoln the interstate is way at the edge and especially when I was growing up it was way at the edge now it's kind of been enveloped but it you didn't have that traffic noise wasn't just omnipresent and i used to live closer to the interstate here in omaha and i remember a while back i was biking i, I was biking from the zoo basically home and i went under the interstate and the homes were beautiful i really liked the neighborhood and then it just like as soon as i sort of crested this hill all of the interstate traffic just that's all i could hear it was just this omnipresent relentless sound of car and it really is hard to describe what that's doing to people, what that nonstop sound, you know, you talked about dementia. There's lots of, there's lots of things that go along with constant high noise and the long-term psychological effects of constantly having noise like that. Yeah, I would, I would love to see uh, 
a specific strategic plan to reduce no road noise. Um, and let's let's also uh, limit the size of personal trucks because those are getting out of control. Yeah, I think we talked about, there was an article not too long ago about how trucks are getting bigger, but it's also leading, the bigger trucks get, the more uh, But yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, they, they showed a really cute little like Datsun pickup from the like 70s or something compared to now like an F350, which the front end of these things these days are like five and a half feet tall. It's absolutely absurd and belongs not in a city. And so I think yes, smaller vehicles, yes, quieter vehicles, but also I don't think the electric car is going to save us. I think what we really need to get real about is allocating space to people in different modes. And I'm talking bike, walk, bus. Yeah, there, there was a time a couple weeks ago I was walking my son to school and um, right next to each other were two trucks. One was like from the 70s. It had a really long back end. Um, just two people could sit in the cab, really long back. You could you could carry so much stuff in that, but it still sort of looked like a sedan on the front. You know, it wasn't it wasn't towering over you. And then a couple houses up was this brand new truck, all blingy, you know, it has all the little decals on. It has the the brush guard or whatever that thing is that only looks like it's going to immediately hit my vital organs at a vertical wall. Um, it had a bed that was like two thirds the size. You could not carry as much stuff. If, if the reason that you have a truck is to carry stuff, then the truck from the 70s is getting the job done. The truck from today is just dangerous and not as good. So that, that was something that struck me. And again, I care about stupid things like that. You know, I'm taking pictures of trucks on our way to school. Um, but that's just something that bothered me because it's the way that we've come from utilitarian, I use a truck because I need a truck, to a truck as a signifier and a truck as a, yeah, it's, it's like showing, I don't know if it's masculinity or if it's some other trait that I want people to know about me. Um, it seems though we're using that as a social signifier though. And there's lots of like semi trucks that keep passing us here. Obviously those are going to have to have space in society. Like it'd be great if they weren't as loud or as dumb or if they had a better route. And I know that's some of the pushback on 13th is that it is a major trucking route and the trucking industry I think has a lot of sway. Um, I think we're seeing that with the north downtown area, the Makerhood, uh, because they've got that sort of truck route that goes right through it. And we're, we're building all these really nice places for people to be. And yet we see these trucks just barreling through. Um, you know, our Moshe friends that have worked at the hot shop talk about how it shakes the building when these trucks go by. Uh, In Europe, they still have buildings, they still build things, they still have warehouses, they move things around. But I'm always so, like, it just strikes me, like, with such envy when I see, like, especially, like, you know, as a cyclist and, you know, you watch these, like, things where people are going to do these, like, iconic bike rides in Europe and just how much smaller the cars are, are and the trucks are. Just, I don't know. That just makes me jealous. Yeah, I mean, I think here, you know, the whole deal, we're watching scooters go the wrong way down the road. That's exciting. Okay, good. Um, but I think, you know, like, again, in Europe, things are more compact. 
And in America, you know, the US, we have this like freedom thing where we need our space and we need our own this and we need our own monster truck and we need our own freedom, freedom, freedom. Um, but really we're kind of just like choking ourselves with cars and bigger is not always better. And I feel like maybe we're slowly learning that. Um, but yeah, we need to learn quicker, I think. Well, and you talk about it as freedom. That's something that I've learned since I got rid of my car. And my wife has a car, so I do have access to a car. But the number of things that I cannot do until I get that car back or until I have access to a car, or I just have to say, yeah, I don't, I don't get to do that. Um, and I've gone all over the city on a bus. I bike everywhere. Um, but there's just parts of the city and parts of the civic life that you cannot access without a car. So do we call that freedom? Is, I mean, is owning a car something that costs an average of $8,000 a year freedom? The idea that I have to spend $8,000 a year just to be a active member of uh, my city? Like, I think that's the, that's the part that I think we miss. And I, I wish that people would get, get the idea that riding a bus Having a bus that comes frequently enough that you don't have to memorize the bus times, um, that's freedom. Being able to get on a bike and go anywhere sort of that you want to within your city, that's, that's what freedom looks like. Um, and, and not feeling like you're going to get hit or feeling like your life is in danger or even just feeling uncomfortable because someone is behind you and you feel bad that you're delaying them. Um, that's, I mean, I'll, I'll fly a flag behind my bike for that. <laughs> I think that uh when we're talking about freedom oftentimes in the american sense that it's been dominated by freedom from government which is something that we pay taxes for and we have some sense of semblance of democracy over although i would prefer a more direct style of democracy rather than you know whatever we can get into that but we're, we don't talk about and this is something i've been talking about for decades about like healthcare and stuff like that we still pay corporate taxes. When we're forced to buy a car from a Ford or a GM or a Toyota or whatever, that's a corporate tax if we have to have it. You know, if we have to go to the hospital and pay a private company to take care of us, you know, in order not to die, that's a corporate tax. Like, in order to live in a society, you have to make concessions. And it's to me, it's a matter of like, do I want a concession where I have some semblance of democracy over and do I want to expand that democracy or do. It's interesting talking about freedom, uh, because when I, I used to do a lot of lunch and learns, you know, where I would go to like UP or Physicians Mutual or whatever, some big corporation would invite uh, me in to talk to their employees at lunch about how to commute to work and uh, as a little cheesy icebreaker I would have folks go around the room and what's the first word that comes to mind when you think of a bicycle and freedom is the word like that is the word and that's totally it for me like I feel real antsy when I'm at a place like right now uh, Scott dropped me off because my bike uh, the, it's that's a story but my I feel trapped without my bike I don't like to rely on others, frankly, but I like the freedom that a bicycle gives me. And so it is to me kind of funny because I do have to say, uh, it is two o'clock now. We installed the parklet at 8 a.m. this morning. So it has been up for hours. I was kind of thinking that maybe the city of Omaha 
would not think it was as cool of an idea as we did, but I am grateful to you, City of Omaha Public Works Department for not coming and ripping out our parklet. Um, we are planning on taking it down at five o'clock. It is a beautiful installation. We've had a ton of folks come through. Everyone has really been excited about it and appreciative of it. And it just is a really great way to end the week for me. So I'm jazzed about that little parklet. The flowers are awesome. Yeah, the teal is perfect of the cushions. I was so excited when I found those cushions. They match our mode ship teal. Yeah, I'm excited that I biked here. It's a delightful day. Um, really nice biking weather. We're getting into fall. Um, I'm bracing myself for, again, I'm, I'm a winter commuter too, so bracing myself for the cold uh, commutes. But right now we're hitting that moment where I absolutely love biking, love being out. Um, and I'm grateful that there was a bike lane for most of my journey here. Um, yeah, and the parklet, when we talked about parklets in the past, we talked about doing it in a place where it had a meter, so we would pay the meter all day, so we could kind of justify that we were renting the space. Um, so much of Omaha is free parking all the time um, that that people get out of that mindset of, you know, you can't use it for anything other than parking. But I, I'm excited that it's been a success so far. We'll see what the city's parklets look like when those become a thing. Um, the place we talked about doing this before it was like in front of the ice cream shop in Blackstone and there's always a line out the door. You can't tell me that they wouldn't benefit by having curbside seating. Um, there's so many places that a parklet like this could be utilized and, and really well loved. So I'm excited to see more of them in the city. We're actually, so this is something that we still need to discuss with the board of Mode Shift, but the, the plan with this parklet is to make it deployable again. So, um, you know, if you're with a neighborhood association and you want to rent our parklet, um, or if you're maybe a, already a corporate mode shift member it could be a perk or something like that but the the plan is to not let this be the last time it's out so thank you uh to spin actually for the grant that made this possible we have again like derek said we've been talking about it for years but we haven't actually done it until this year so super happy that it is yeah finally has come to fruition that does it for this episode of car free midwest We'll be here every other week, though, with interviews, topics, and documentary pieces covering all things transportation. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Car Free Midwest, or visit us at carfreemidwest.com. So subscribe now to Car Free Midwest wherever you listen to podcasts, and support us on Patreon, patreon.com backslash carfreemidwest. This podcast is a production of Figure Podcasts. That's figurepodcasts.com with support from Mode Shift Omaha, which is at modeshiftomaha.org. And until next time, bye. See ya. <laughs> Thanks for listening. This is a production of Figure Podcasts. For more information, visit figurepodcasts.com.